0: Well, you can be opening your Bibles to Joshua 1. I'm going to do a short little series on prayer. Um, and by short, I mean probably about six weeks. And uh, we'll be looking in the book of Joshua. And uh, the Lord laid this on my heart, and he laid the book of Joshua on my heart. And uh, as I began to study, I, I found this other book that I read about the prayers of Joshua. And I realized something that I had never caught before. And that is... That Joshua didn't pray much. Now, I thought he did. Uh, you just kind of assume it by what you see, but as we look at it, we're going to see we're going to learn positive lessons from some potential or possible mistakes that Joshua made. Now, I say that very humbly and 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 all because, we we do have to assume a few things. Maybe he did pray, but the Bible doesn't record it. Maybe these things happened. And we see God honoring him and blessing him, and God keeping his word all through that. We we sang some great songs this morning. We sang a song of hope. Uh that new that new song that Pastor Andy said was new to us. And uh I, I, I know this verse is in um in Hebrews. Uh It says that this is a sure anchor for our soul, talking about what Christ did. And so he is our anchor. He is that anchor for our soul. And as we we sang those songs, another song we sang is, I will hold on to this. But in reality, it's Christ holding on to us, right? Now, I know we use those words, and that's fine. Uh, You know, when we tell a child to hold our hand, they don't do much of the holding, do they? (laughs) Uh, we had three children, and, and, and when they were really small, and our son was a toddler, two or three years old, and uh, we had two daughters, and we'd say, everybody hold a hand because we want to make sure where they were, and one daughter would grab Janice's hand, one daughter would grab my hand, and Ian would do this, and he'd walk through the mall <laughs> holding his own hand, which doesn't quite work the way we intended, but he'd be between us, you know. Uh, so we always thought that was kind of cute and funny. But I want to show you that, and, and just as an illustration of how we ought to pray, and I'm not a pilot, I've, I've had the opportunity to sit in the, the right-hand seat, I think that's the right term, yeah, uh, of an airplane while someone else was flying it, and they, you know, they'll let you pretend like you're flying sometimes. Uh, friends with private planes, I've been on airliners. But this is something I know about flying, and that is, they run everything by checklist. They're on order. They, they check everything on that airplane. Every time it lands, they refuel it. They, they're supposed to go through a, an extensive checklist. But I want you to imagine you're getting on an airliner. Maybe you've never flown, but um, that is not a pleasant experience. But you finally get in, you get settled, they get everybody on, they get the door shut, they get it sealed off. They and, and in a minute, they're going to tell you a bunch of stuff nobody pays attention to, but I always do because I'm a scaredy cat. I want to know what's going on. And, uh, but, uh, but they, they tell all this. But what's going on where you cannot see and where now you cannot even get to is that pilot is communicating with that control tower there at the airport. And he is saying we are now, I don't know the exact term, so this is just a layman's interpretation. We've got all the souls on board. they announced how much they got. We're fueled. We're ready. All things are disconnected. We're ready to push back from the gate, which means back the airplane up, and go out to the runway. And he has to wait for the tower to say, okay, you can back it up now. Uh, You push back, and they do. And then we're ready to taxi, and then they give them an assignment to which runway to go to, which direction to head. They're telling and they're just, okay, we're here, we're waiting, get in line behind this number plane, you know, you wait your turn, we're there, we're ready. Even when they get to the end of the runway and those engines are already warmed up, and he says, we're at the end of the runway ready, they say, hold. And then he's got to just put everything on hold. And then they finally say, all right, you can take off. And when they do, man, he fires those engines up. I love this part. Man, I love being on an airplane when they do this. And that just, you just hear, and the plane just kind of stands up on its nose because they don't want to kind of build speed. They want to go as quick as they can, but it's an airliner, you know. Those guys that jump off of uh, aircraft carriers, they're at full speed when they come off the end of that deck, man. They're flying. But that thing will hold, and then you'll feel those brakes go off, and it Starts going down the runway. Well, what you don't know is the whole time he's going, we're taxiing down the runway. He's telling them what he's doing. They can see him. They're looking at him. They're ready to pick him up on radar. They're doing all of that. But he's talking to the tower. And then as soon as the wheels leave the ground and they'll give their flight number where we're now wheels up. And then they're heading this direction, going this speed. And the tower said, so well, climb to this and make this heading in this direction. And the whole way, and then he'll get to a certain point and they'll say, switch to this tower. And he'll change his dial and he'll go to another tower. And he'll say, this is flight so-and-so flying in this speed at this altitude. And we're headed to this place. And he'll fly past that one and then another one and another one till it's time to land. Then it's flight so-and-so. Coming in ready, grab this pattern, do this thing. Constantly, they're in touch with the tower. Now, what would happen if they didn't do that? <laughs> if everybody just like backed up like some people drive. I, I was in Africa and it was just crazy, and no real stoplights or anything. The the town I was in is a very poor country. Capital city had dirt roads, that tells you anything. And I'm sitting up there with the missionary, and he pulls up, and he pulls up, and I said, are there really any laws? Do you get pulled here? He said, yeah, you can get pulled like if you, you know, hurt somebody or you're going really crazy. I said, well, what is the rule for pulling out in traffic? He said, you stop and you let off a little and you let off a little and you let off a little and when you've done that three times, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go. It was crazy, you know. Can you imagine if if the airline, y'all remember the day after 9-11. I never, I, we lived near, near an airport, a small airport, but all of a sudden, you didn't see jet contrails and all that. We, we were close to Virginia Beach where they're flying all the time. It, it just was odd. But if they didn't have all those rules, those planes would be flying into each other in the air. They would be crashing on the ground constantly because it would be a mess. But here's the thing. The reason we're in a mess is we're not in touch with the tower. Now, that was an illustration. I any, I'm not inviting us all to go flying. I'm just telling you that the reason it works is they're in constant contact with the tower. And so many times we want to push back from the gate and take off without ever checking with the tower. And so I want you to see this in Joshua 1. And I, I called this this morning the lost potential of prayer. This is the whole series, actually. And I'm going to show you today some prayer priorities. And Joshua one seventeen is kind of a... Key verse that I'm going to I'm going to use. Sorry, I opened my Bible to the wrong spot. Now I can't get, even get a hold of it. My... And John one seven, uh, Joshua one seventeen, Scripture says, "This is the people responded to Joshua. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord our, your God be with you, as He was with." Moses. Time would keep me from reading uh, that entire chapter, but uh, I'll tell you the story as we go along. Here's something I want you to take home with you today, and that is when you should pray, pray. Now, that's kind of redundant sounding, but when you should pray, go ahead and pray. Because it is, listen, the devil will never inspire you to prayer. He will never lead you to pray. He will never encourage you to pray. He'll never make you feel like praying. In fact, if you decide you will pray, when it comes time to pray, you won't feel like it. And then when you start praying, you'll remember, oh, I left that on the stove. I left, the, the, you know, the cattle attack you or the dog will start barking and everything will go crazy. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you to pray. If you suffer with insomnia, when you wake up, start praying. Because the devil don't want you to pray. He'll let you go back to sleep, you know. Sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes the Lord does wake you up and wants you to pray, but just be in prayer. And I I want you to see that God talks to Joshua. What has just happened is Moses has gone up on Mount Nebo. The Bible says he died. The angels buried him. There's a big mystery there we see in the New Testament. There's a dispute uh, between the devil and Michael about that. Where is Moses' bones really? And Michael won't even answer him, but Moses was on that Mount of Transfiguration with Christ. But in Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, God talks to Joshua and says, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now Joshua had been with Moses for years, and he had gone in the tent of meeting. He was present when God taught, would talk to Moses. He was in the tent uh, many of those times. But the, the, jo- the book of Joshua starts off by saying God spoke to Joshua. Now, I'll just pause there to say, wasn't that cool? I mean, can you imagine? You're a man, and the leader that has led you for 40 years through the wilderness has died in a miraculous way, just out of your mind, crazy miraculous. And you're a little worried because you're the heir apparent. They had, Moses had prayed, got the people to pray. It was obvious Joshua should be the leader, but Moses still had the congregation pray about. See, Moses did pray a lot. And God said, well, duh, and basically to, to Moses and the people. Of course it's Joshua, but go ahead. And so Moses is gone. I'm sure Joshua is wondering what's going to happen. And God speaks to Joshua and says, yeah, you are the one. He commissions him. Verse 2, God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise go over this Jordan you and all this people <clears throat> into the land that I'm giving to them to the people of Israel. Tell them where to go, told him who to take with him, told him where to where to go in. And so God commissions Joshua, you're the guy, here's the first step, here's what you're going to do. God makes promises to Joshua. Look in verse 3. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. You notice the verb tenses? Where you will go, I have already done this. Where your foot will go, I've already given it to you. And so everywhere Joshua stepped, he knew God is going to give us this land. He's going to give us this place. Not only that, God encourages Joshua. And many of us, me included and probably many of you. We go to Joshua 1, 6 through 9 so many times because of the encouragement we find there. It says, be strong. Well, I'm back up to verse, uh, verse 5. Uh, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And then verse 9. Be, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Over and over and over, God says, be strong and courageous. But you know what God told him to do? He told him to stay in the Word of God. Now, that's a foreshadowing of what we have today. The Bible that you hopefully hold in your hand or are looking at on an electronic device, that Bible, we call that the Word of God. And this is the only book that we call that. Now, other people may call other books the Word of God, but it's, they all fail the test. It's the only book that fails the test. And it's not one book. It's 66 books, 1,300 years, 40-plus authors, and it agrees in every area. It does not have self-contradiction in it. That is a miracle in and of itself. But here's what I was saying earlier. Isn't it cool that God talked to Joshua? God will talk to you if you'll open his book. Because when God talked to Joshua, he said, don't get out of this word. Stay in the word. Read what Moses gave you in the book of the law. Now, I know you'd be real excited to do all your quiet times out of the Old Testament, wouldn't you? But that's what the disciples had. That's what they did. I want you to think about that. The only word of God they had were the promises in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. It was was close to 100 years after Jesus' death before everything was written down. You say, oh, see, there were people that didn't know the Lord writing 100 years later. No, that was a guy that didn't know the Lord. He just lived 90 years afterwards. He was 90 years old when he he did die. Well, so God talks to Moses, but then I want you to catch this. Joshua acts without prayer. Now, it could be argued that once God tells you to do something, do it. You're in prayer. You're talking to God. God's talking to you, but it never says that Joshua answers him. The next verse, verse 10 says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. He just comes out and tells them, okay, saddle up. We're leaving. He, he, listen, he doesn't mention what God told him. At least the word doesn't. He doesn't say, hey, God showed up. He told us to do this. We're going to saddle up and go. Let's have a big old prayer before we go. You know, there. I just believe God's in control, you know. But God tells us to acknowledge our ways in Proverbs 3, doesn't it? Proverbs 3, 5, 6, to acknowledge our way before God. In other words, Lord, this is what I'm planning on. Hope you're with me and give God a chance to talk to you about that. It says, and, and he will direct your paths when you acknowledge him in all your ways. But we don't even see in this text where Joshua really acknowledges the Lord. He says there in verse 10, You're to pass over the Jordan and go take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And and now God's renewed that promise with me. He spoke to me. I want us all to pray together. And then he he goes into depth about that. So he just says, saddle up. We're leaving. God told us to go in. We're going in. But they could have thought that was from Moses' command. And the people don't pray. They only set conditions. I'm skipping a lot because there's, there's just a lot. He says, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, at verse 13, commanded you, saying, "The Lord your God is providing for you a place and a land and rest. Your wives, your little ones." He talks about what God had told Moses, not about what they told what God had told him. He doesn't really take that command and not taking that command, he doesn't pray. God's people don't pray. They only set conditions. And that we see that in verse 17. I'll read 16 through 18 again. And they answered Joshua, All that you commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Do you notice what happened there? They said, okay, we'll follow you like we followed Moses. But we knew Moses was praying. We'd see him go in that tent. Joshua doesn't say, good, I'm glad, I appreciate that. By the way, God just told me to tell you all this. He still doesn't take advantage of that. But look at the condition they said on verse 17, as long as God is with you. But he gives them no assurance that God is with him. He doesn't tell them that God is with him. This would have been an ideal place to say, you're right, let's, let's ask God to be with us all. That God is leading me, and that I can lead you well, we can contrast this with Moses, and I won't flip everywhere. Remember on the app, all the verses that I use that I know I'm going to use in advance are in there. sometimes verses pop in my head, and I, I use them, and they may not be listed, but all the ones that I'm about to read are are in the in the sermon in the app, even right now there's this outline is in there. but look at the contrast with Moses the people uh prayed for a leader in Exodus uh, 223 during those days many of the kings of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery cried out for help their cry for uh, rescue from slavery came up before God The people were in prayer these are to be the house of God these are to be the people of God I don't want you to miss this I'm talking a lot about Joshua but while they were in bondage they prayed when they were in the wilderness they prayed now all that's done they're about to go in and conquer and all of a sudden the people don't even pray they're crying out to God we need a leader we need someone to lead us out of here in Exodus 2 23 but Moses prayed for the Egyptians during the plagues I don't know if you ever thought of it in those terms in Exodus 9 28 29 and then verse 33 Pharaoh says to Moses, plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I'll let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And so he does it. And then uh, a little later on uh, in, in verse um, 33, Moses prays and everything stops. Everything ceases. Everything stops and and what's going on. The people prayed for deliverance. In chapter 15 of Exodus. Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. When, when God had delivered them. I should say. When they went through the sea. And, and God drowned the armies. The people sang a long song of prayer to God. And the women got involved. Uh, Miriam sang uh, to them. Sing to the Lord. For he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. They prayed because they had been delivered. Every time they moved, they prayed. Numbers chapter 10, verses 25-36. Because remember, they'd camp, and then God said, move. Well, they'd pray before they even moved camp. Now, you're camping. You're pulling up, and you're camping. That doesn't seem to require a lot of prayer, does it? But they prayed. Then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps set out by companies and over their companies, was, and it names all these people. And they would pray every time they moved. And whatever the ark set out, Moses said, this is the end of these verses, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands, thousands of Israel. Moses would pray before he goes. Say, clear us the path, keep the enemies away, and when they'd stop, say, "Lord, come on back in with us and stay with us." And Moses prayed constantly. And in the very first chapter of Joshua, we don't see a prayer. And he's telling, "We're about to go into this land. We're We got to go fight a bunch of battles, and and we're going to have to do a lot of things that are going to be tough, and some of us are going to die, and it's going to be really rough. But God's promised us victory. We're going in." And they just go in. They never say, okay, Lord, help us. They don't, no acknowledgement. Now, I'm saying all that because it seems like that's an oversight or a failure, whatever word you want to use on Joshua and the people's part. These are people supposed to be people of prayer. What did the Lord say about his house? By the way, if you disagree, this building is not the house of the Lord, but we are the house of the Lord. You with me? So let me bring this point home. I've been giving you a lot of background information. We are, as people, are the house of God. And he said, "My house shall be called a house of yeah. So we as the people ought to pray, shouldn't we? Now I'm the leader. I should lead you in prayer, and I get that, and I'm asking God to help me in that even now. But we're the people of God. Why don't we talk to Him? Why don't we talk to Him more? Why are we not afraid to just back the plane up and take off without checking where we ought to fly and how we ought to fly and what direction we ought to go? Well, the story, one suggestion I would give you is in the story of Mary and Martha. You know the story in Luke 10 where Jesus shows up for supper and Martha goes to work in the kitchen and Mary sits down on the porch with Jesus and starts talking. Now, they didn't have a porch, but Southerners understand that, right? And they start having a conversation. Mary's listening to Jesus. I, I, I envy, and that's the wrong word, I'm not sinfully envious, but I just, I love mu- music. I love musicians. I love people who can sing because I can do neither, okay? I, I, I hope I can, but I can't. And, and that's why I can't because I hope I don't practice. But these folks are really good at what they do. And, and that just thrills me, and, and, and I love that. And I used to think when I was a young man, I thought I'd be, you know, evangelists running around sort of like Billy Graham. And, you know, he had George Beverly Shea and and uh, Cliff Barrow and they'd have that choir. And back when I was a kid, there were evangelists that go around. They'd have a band with them. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of David Wilkerson. Dallas Home and Praise was his band. And they became their own deal out there. It's for all the gray hairs in here that were Jesus freaks like me. But... I used to think, man, if I can go out there and pray, I'm going to get me a band. And I'm going to name it, Mary has chosen. Because that's what it says in Luke 10. But Mary has chosen the one thing that won't be taken away from her. Martha was busy and all that stuff had to get done. But Jesus said there's something more important than busyness. And that's to hear from God first. Do we not pray because we're so busy doing what we think we ought to be doing? Backing up the plane, trying to fly it, that we don't stop and go, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And just stop to pray. There are other things that keep us from prayer. There's a sense of failure. Let me, let me relieve you. You're going to fail. Nobody's 100% successful to start with. The Bible promises you, you can't do what God told you to do. You can't do anything that God commanded you to do. If you don't depend on him, it won't get done. And so we ought to be praying, right? Because he's the source of that strength. He's the one that knows what he wants. He knows how he wants it. He knows where he wants it. He knows when he wants it. And we have to trust that he's going to give us that information at the right time. And so business will keep us away. A feeling of inadequacy will keep you away. Well, you are inadequate. Just pray because he is adequate. Remember the sermon last week about they didn't have it? We don't have it either. We need him to give it to us because he's laid before us. What was this command? Go to where? I heard somebody say a synonym with it, said everywhere. What do we call that everywhere? The world. Well, can Calvary go into all the world? Well, we can go to our part of it anyway, right? It's a command to the church to go into all the world. The church is in all the world. We're part of that body as we did communion. That's well, I said, if you're saved, man, you're part of us. And we're part of you. And we're part of the worldwide church. We don't pray because we feel like the situation's hopeless. Listen, when it looks hopeless, don't believe that lie. I'm not saying we'll have victory in the way we think of victory and hopelessness. I'm just saying God's in charge. I, I was... I was uh, reading in Revelation this morning. It's in Revelation. I can't remember when I read it. But it struck me. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, was the, it was the very first things. And uh, when war comes and there's no more peace and you can't buy bread for a week's worth of wages. And that's coming. And this week, right now today, many of us and many people in our community, and our country, are wondering what in the world is going on in Washington. I mean, it's just nuts. Who's in charge of the nut house? I mean, it's like, who's the chief monkey here? Because it's just, I don't care how you voted, that ain't going to help. Only God's going to help. And I was reading in Revelation, and all these things are happening, and down in the middle of those seals being opened, there are those in that time where they are martyred for the Lord. Now, you think when they're about to cut off your head or shoot you or poison you or whatever, how are they going to do it? Do you think you go, Lord, where are you? That's kind of how we've been training ourselves as Americans to think. Nobody else in the world thinks that way. They, when we go, oh, no, we're going to have to do this or that, the rest of the world goes, yeah, and what's your point? Because they've been living under threat of death and persecution for years. We just think we shouldn't have to suffer because we're American Christians. It could be coming. We don't know. I, 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 I don't know. But what do you think we ought to do in that? Well, we better be praying. We better be bowing before God. And by the way, no matter how you like to vote, I don't care who you vote for, the Bible says in Hebrews that we as the believers ought to be praying for our leaders that have been elected no matter which one got elected. That's our only That we might live a peaceful life to lead other people to the Lord. Because this isn't about politics. This is about the gospel. And so we need to be in prayer about that. What's more important? Busyness? Our fears? Our feeling of inadequacy? Or is God more important? He is the point. And even when he makes a commandment. We ought to say, okay, I'm going. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know if this is just a family trait or a regional trait, but but my family says goodbye in stages. You know what I'm talking about? You've been sitting around the living room for several hours talking, drinking coffee, whatever you're doing. Well, I guess it's time to go. Yeah, we got to go. Oh, did I tell you about? (laughs) Then another story or two gets told. Well, we really got to go, and they stand up, so you know they're serious when they stand up, I gather the kids, get their coats, all that. Oh, here's your coat, here's that. Oh, going, well, man, it's been good for you to visit. Yeah, and we hug and kiss. Then we walk outside with them. <laughs> and we go to the car, and they roll down the window, and we lean in, and oh, God bless you, we kiss them. That's, that's kind of how we say goodbye. When God makes a commandment, he doesn't say, okay, break off communication and go. It means keep going with him, right? I don't know where your prayer life is. I know mine is nowhere near what I wish it was and could be. And there, there's that bad word, wish, again. It's an act of my will to pray. And, and a well-fed will will get you where you need to be. You need to feed your will by the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and then move forward. So this week, I want to encourage you, when you see yourself getting too busy to pray... Stop and pray. You're too busy. One of the great old saints said, I've got so much to do today, I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. And then secondly, I would say, consider an event that is about to happen and pray. If you're leaving for work, if people are coming over, if you're going on a trip, if you're about to do a job at work, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a long, you know, sackcloth and ashes prayer. But pray. Just be in constant contact with the tower. Just, Lord, I'm at work. This is what I'm doing now. Lord, I've got to go talk to him. Be with me. Lord, we're doing this. Lord, we're doing that. Just be in a state and an attitude of praying. But something big's about to happen. Man, you ought to stop and pray about that. Uh, I, had, I had the privilege of going hunting with Pastor Stephen's father a few times. Uh, and we were all in Suffolk. And hunted several different animals. I've only ever killed one with him. and That's probably my fault, not his. But I know this about Michael Arrington. He's never gone on a hunt because he loves to hunt. This, he's been very involved in the hunting industry in, in the state of Virginia. But I know this about him. He's never gone hunting with anyone that at the beginning, whether he knew him or not, he said, we're going to pray before we go. And he'll use that time as a witness If he doesn't know you, he will use that time to tell you about the Lord. But he won't go without praying. He won't let you leave the house without praying. He won't leave without praying. He's going to pray as a praying fella. So when something's about to happen, no matter if you think it's a big deal or a little deal, pray. Because every deal is a big deal in God's economy.